Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined in with a fellow biohacker and entrepreneur, Angela Foster. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lucas. It's great to be here. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Angela, do you want to let my listeners know maybe a bit about your journey? I know briefly we're just touching on you know, your past, but maybe yeah, fill my listeners in about your journey. Yeah, sure. So I started life, I say, not really started life, but for many years, I was a corporate lawyer in London, a very big law firm. Literally, as you can imagine, as a corporate lawyer doing multinational deals, I was working super long hours, completely disrespected sleep, which is crazy now because that's kind of the foundation of many of my programs. But we were sort of forced really more than anything into working all nighters, pulling them off, you know, night after night to get the deal through. I then went into investment banking for a bit. So I had this background in this corporate career. And I then had this sort of first foray with my health, if you like, when I was diagnosed in my late 20s with insulin resistance and PCOS and endometriosis. And it was a bit of a shock. But I had a very strong family history of type 2 diabetes. But still, I was kind of, I I started to understand the link between PCOS and diabetes and insulin resistance and kind of carbohydrate tolerance. But I was sort of figuring this out because I was still practicing as a lawyer. And obviously, with the medical community, they just prescribe you metformin, which obviously, admittedly, is actually quite a good drug for longevity. But I couldn't tolerate it at all. It gave me very bad gastric distress. So I had to have quite a bit of surgery. And that was my first kind of brush. And I was thinking, wow, this feels, you know, really young. What am I doing wrong here? So I was kind of busy researching, but still practicing 
very much into exercise, but not really a limited amount of healthy eating, but by no means biohacking. So I kind of carried on and then made partnership in a large law firm when I was eight months pregnant. So it was all kind of crazy chaotic, went off on maternity leave and then really struggled with postnatal depression. I had my second, well, I fell pregnant again. So I was three months pregnant by the time I was due to go back off maternity leave, which was quicker than I'd expected. And it was just kind of chaotic. Here I was at home, you know, with two little ones, you know, changing nappies and things. It was a completely different world, a far cry from the world of corporate law. And it was very unexpected for me because I struggled very badly with postnatal depression. And that actually got successively worse until after my third child, I was pretty much so burnt out. And I just had these thoughts of suicide that just kept coming and they were so prevalent. And I felt so trapped. I was really just trying to run away from myself. And I ended up hospitalized with double pneumonia like rushed into hospital with suspected lung cancer after a chest x-ray because my lymph glands were so swollen that they thought it was lung cancer, even though I had these very high fevers and I was very sick. And I was treated for that. And I felt really, really lucky to be alive. And it was that was like a really pivotal moment in my life because here I was kind of attracting really what I'd been thinking about, which was the end of my life because I was struggling with my own head and everything that was going on and the depression. And that sparked in me just this moment really of, I need to get healthy. I need to really understand. And that started this quest because it began as, well, you know, you can have high performance and this happens with a lot of high performers. They really burn themselves out and they do suffer a lot with anxiety and depression more than they speak about. And then you can have people who are really, really healthy. And a lot of people that are high performing will turn around in, you know, careers like medicine or accounting or law will turn around and say, I just, I don't have time to stay healthy. How can I do this? And they're really, really struggling. And so initially it was kind of my own quest of there must be a way that we can combine high performance with optimal health. And that was really where it began. And then I retrained in nutrition and health coaching and nutritional therapy and started working more and more with clients and put, sort of putting the pieces together while healing myself from all the depression. And that's where what I do, this, this health and performance coaching was born really. It was out of that. Wow. So yeah, that's kind of the background on me. Crazy, crazy story there. I mean, it would have been um, yeah, really difficult around that time when you sort of departed law so do you want to sort of, you know, explain to my listeners, what are some of the things that you tapped into or leveraged at the time to sort of pull yourself back together when it comes to health? So it's very difficult, isn't it? Because there's a mental aspect, there's a physical aspect, and then there's your spiritual health, which I had, that was the piece that I'd never really focused on was my spiritual health. So for me, we can come on to that in a minute, the kind of gratitude practices, meditation, those things actually going inwards have really helped me. But there was initially, I was facing this mental and potentially physical, well, physical health crisis, because by the time I was in hospital, they thought they were going to end up having to transfer me into intensive care and intubate me. I was neutropenic. You know, it was bacterial and viral pneumonia on both lungs. So really a lot of it, yes, they were giving me high dose antibiotics, which I later had to recover from with my gut health and everything, but there was a viral component as well. So my own immune system was really having to step in at this point. And that left me physically, I lost a lot of weight. But what's really interesting was when I was in hospital, you know, so many practitioners in the natural health area will talk about this mind-body connection. I really witnessed this myself because... 
there I was lying in, in the hospital bed, you know, thinking about, I'd had all these thoughts of suicide. And really for me, there was this trap because it was like, how can I do that and leave my kids and my family with no mother to grow up? But then I couldn't be with myself. And I think when I had these very, very high fevers in the hospital, it kind of gave way to a bit of lucidity, really. And it helped me tap into that inner peace. And I felt okay. And I was like, here I am. I've been trying to run away from myself. And now I'm in hospital and I can't get away from myself. But I felt this sense, profound sense of peace. And I'm okay. And I'm okay being with me. So that was the switch. And my blood work changed literally within 48 hours of me making that mental switch, which is unbelievable when you think about it. And so my recovery then started to accelerate quicker than they were expecting because I really connected with my children and I was like, what the hell am I doing? They need a mum. Like, I want to see them grow up. I want to be there for them, you know, in the fun parts, in the challenges, with everything. And I think that was the thing that really got to me. So when I came out, it was like, how can I get my physical health back? So I enrolled with a functional medicine practitioner in London, spoke to him, you know, I'd lost a ton of weight. How could I build myself back up? And then also from a mental health perspective, I was having significant psychological therapy to really help me overcome that. And then the spiritual side came later. Cause I think, to be honest, when you can't sit with yourself, it's very difficult to say to people, you need to go within when you're that depressed. I certainly found that hard. But as I started to understand that, you know, thoughts can be changed and that I am not my thoughts, I began to do that CBT style work, which then allowed me to go into the more spiritual side. And that has been transformational for me. Wow. So. I would love to dive deeper into that spiritual side of things. And, you know, you sort of just mentioned there around the fact that we are not our thoughts. And let's sort of dive into what did you do to sort of make that a pronounced feeling or I guess actually adhere to that sort of saying? So initially, it takes a lot of work, right? I'm not going to lie. It does take a lot of work, like anything. So, you know, you're never going to get put on lots of muscle mass and get strong without doing intense physical activity. And so initially, it was about understanding those thoughts and capturing them. But you're so caught in your head. How can you understand how you felt, right? So a behavior or an action is generally driven by a feeling that's driven by an emotion that was originally a thought. So for me, it was like tracking back. How can I, and so sometimes I would just be standing there, you know, the kitchen island with my kids, just feeling this profound sense of depression, just struggling to go through the day and having to track back and think what, what led to that thought? And then actually it was a case of going through it with the psychotherapist and writing down the thoughts and going, what is, I think, you know, there's a, this concept of ants, which is automatic negative thoughts and understanding well, where did that thought come from and what was it? And now connecting, this has made me feel in this way. Now I've got this emotion in the body that I can physically feel. What could be a different thought that I could use? But even before that, you've got to track back and go, do I know this thought to be true? Do I really know it to be true? And ask yourself repeatedly those questions. And it really was writing it out. I used to have to go to the, to see the psychotherapist with these sheets of paper and almost I couldn't believe what I was thinking in my head. The other thing I think that's really hard for anyone that's listening that has struggled with clinical depression is that it becomes so physical. And so, you know, it breaks my heart now when I think about it, but it used to take my eldest son maybe an hour and a half to two hours to get me out of bed to take him to school. 
because he'd be pulling me and it's so physical and you can't tell the difference. And I think that's one of the hardest things. And I, you know, I remember one of my friends saying that, you know, some mums would feel that I'd ignored them on the school run. And it wasn't that I'd ignored them. I was just trying so hard to put, hold it together. If anyone spoke to me, I think I would have burst into tears. It was like, I just, I've just got to get through the day. And I remember the psychotherapist I had quite a few, but there was one that was particularly good saying to me, you've got to do less. And I was thinking, do less. Like, how can I do less? I used to run multinational deals. And now the biggest achievement is getting my son to school. Like how, what's this concept of doing less, Mm. but it is about doing less to understand, right? You've almost got to go back and rewrite from within and find who you really are in that situation. Mm. Wow. So yeah, I guess with that, in terms of that recuperating and sort of bouncing back and reinvigorating that spark again, what were some of the other modalities you sort of utilized, you know, in conjunction with the psychotherapy? What else? What else did you find was beneficial? So exercise was a massive trigger for me, massive help, exercise. And it always had been. And I think that's the difficult is then it's about getting the balance right because I turned to running. I was going out a lot. And I think that you can almost stress the body too much, right? Particularly for women. And I know we wanted to talk a little bit as well about sort of women's health and how that affects them. And so it was okay. And I think that's where working with a functional medicine practitioner who he had a very good personal trainer that I was speaking to as well. It was about getting that balance because we needed to build me back up. So exercise was definitely a lifeline. But then if I overdid it, I would be absolutely exhausted. So it was about getting that balance right for me where we're not raising cortisol too high and we're still restoring the body to its original state. So that helped. I got really strong. I improved my diet immeasurably. So obviously when I'd had the PCOS, I'd realized a low carbohydrate diet was going to work better. Now I was focusing on really nutrient dense nutrition. I took, you know, some things that actually helped to stabilize me. I had to have a lot of medication. You know, this was, as I was saying, is, and it took me a very long time to come off them. But one of the things that I used was, I don't know if you've used this at all, is Stabilium which is this very deep sea fish that was used by the Celts when they would go into battle. And these fish are, they basically take it when the fish come up to spawn and they take the oils from it. But these fish are deprived of any kind of light. They're extremely resilient. Mm. And it's really, really interesting because it's used to help, it actually helps to improve your circadian rhythm as well. And that's one of the things that can really go off with depression is that you, really lose the ability to sleep well. And often it's used with people, for example, who are blind as well, because they don't have that circadian rhythm and those triggers. And it seems to help them sleep better, but it almost works on a kind of adaptogenic basis just to support you. So I used that with a really good blend of adaptogenic herbs, some strong B vitamins as well, just to give me that adrenal support and really start building myself back up from there. Hmm, interesting. So that was called um, Stabilium, you said? Stabili- Stabilium, Stabilium, yeah. And it's a, basically, it's different to like fish oil, but it's more of like an adaptogenic sea-based. Yeah, it's a type of fish and it's a fish that's very, very deep below the ocean. And because of that, it makes them very resilient. I've used it a lot with clients myself. It seems to really just moderate that HPA access and just help to take the edge off things like anxiety. I wasn't specifically struggling so much with anxiety. I think depression and anxiety are flip sides of the same coin. However, 
This did really, really help me alongside, as I say, some strong B vitamins coupled with some adaptogens just to give me that support. So I was doing that and then a nutrient dense diet. And then it was also about retraining my sleep cycle because the sleep had become so disrupted. And I think that's one of the hardest things for people with depression. So then it was doing a lot of the things that you and I both talk about. So actually getting outside, getting access to natural light, particularly early in the day, having a really good wind down routine and trying to relax in the evening, which, you know, when you've got three kids under five is hard to do and they wake you up. But it was kind of, you know, doing the best that I could with what I had, essentially. What I'd love to dive into is more around what you did in terms of, you know, the diet. You sort of mentioned a lower carbohydrate diet was beneficial in the context of PCOS. How did that sort of also affect your mood as well? So when I, with obviously with going on a more carbohydrate diet, I felt my concentration is much better. And that stayed with me because I think that when you have, and I've looked at my genetics, you know, this sensitivity to carbohydrates, which obviously for me was playing out because I had that PCOS and the insulin resistance, you're much more prone to blood sugar highs and lows. And it's really interesting because I've been tracking that recently again with a continuous blood glucose monitor. And it's very interesting because I was looking actually just over this past week at my blood sugar and it's really like within a really healthy range. It stays low. If anything, sometimes it can actually go a little bit too low, right? So I'm somebody who has a harder time controlling blood sugar. And then yesterday as a bit of an experiment, I love sourdough. I was like, I just want to see what happens while I've got this on. If I have unopposed carbs, right? What's going to happen? It had a tiny bit of nut butter on it, but it's just one piece and it literally shot up. So if you imagine my blood sugar's like kicking in around four, I fasted all morning, had only black coffee. And the moment I have one slice of sourdough, not a lot, it shoots up to 10, which is unbelievable to 10 with literally one slice. And that's the thing. And I think this is why I like people before they go on any kind of diet to understand from a genetic perspective. And obviously there's the microbiome and everything else. What are your sensitivities? Because in that scenario, and I've tested it, if I have protein with that, that changes the game completely because obviously it changes how we're processing the carbohydrates, which is really important. And my blood sugar will stay really, really stable. Once I got that under control, so I don't go super low carbs. And I think I've seen that cause a lot of problems for women in particular when they do because of the delicate female hormone balance. But what I do find is that keeping relatively speaking low carb is really helpful for me from a blood sugar perspective and also from a neurological perspective and my ability to concentrate and not have these swings and it helps stabilize mood. Interesting. What about um, timing of the carbohydrates? Have you ever sort of played around with that at all? Yeah, I have a little bit, but it's hard to, I haven't been able to isolate whether that would happen because I've not ever had carbs unopposed in the evening. So I know, for example, that carbohydrates in the evening, I very much do find it helps you sleep better, right? Partly because I think when you're in a more ketogenic state, things like gluconeogenesis, you're actually using that cortisol cycle. So you're raising stress hormones so it can impact sleep. So I always have carbohydrates in the evening, but then I'm also having protein and fat. So that's an all round balanced meal. So I wouldn't see a particularly big variation in blood sugar. It might go up to say 5.55.8. doesn't really vary in that scenario. I haven't tested just deciding to, I am an experimenter, maybe I should just, you know, try just some carbs on their own in the evening for the sake of it. I was um, recently having a chat with um, glucose goddess, Jessie, telling her to line up some experiments. There's one where it's like preloading 
like before eating just pure white rice, you have like fruit just before it. And by preloading with fruit, somehow it lowers that postprandial glucose spike. So it would really? be, yeah, it's really That's crazy. interesting. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to do a quote. And that's what then having just carbs, so you preload with fruit and then you have white rice. Do you have any kind of protein or fats to moderate that response? Uh, that would be ideal. Like you'd rather, you, obviously we, we both know adding protein fat is beneficial, but in this study that they did, they literally just preloaded with like apples. They had like okay. um, apples before white rice and it lowered the, the spike post meal, which is pretty interesting. Again, like there's so much fun you can have with the CGM. Yeah. What else? But do you think that's down to like the pectin that's like lowering the stomach emptying? So it's actually slowing down the emptying of the stomach. And so maybe somehow that's leading to a less rise in rapid glucose. Potentially, yeah. It could be in some of the polyphenols in apples may have some mm. releasing property. True. Yeah. But it is fun. Like when you can experiment, what else have you done with the CGM or things that you've discovered so far? Well, I'll tell you what is interesting is when I've done, when I've worked out, and so this wasn't actually when I was wearing CGM, but understanding that I had this high carb sensitivity, utilizing that in a deliberate way to spike blood sugar post weight training, I got amazing results. So I actually did an experiment on myself where I wanted to get into like the best shape of my life, if you like. And so I was doing a lot of training. I actually removed most cardio apart from walking, concentrated just on strength training. And I put on so much muscle mass that I literally then my husband was like, okay, this, this doesn't look good anymore. <laughs> this is, you know, you going like six pack. Now it's going down to eight pack. And I was deliberately spiking blood sugar after training to help kind of get that glycogen back into the muscle and working really hard. I got very strong, you know, I was then able to like, which a lot of women struggle with, right? When you can do your own pull-ups completely unassisted, I could do all of that. But he was a bit like, actually, this doesn't look that good anymore. <laughs> You've kind of gone a bit far with it. So I have used it in that way. And I think maybe being more sensitive to carbs in that scenario can be helpful. I've tried other things like, you know, what's the effect of black coffee? That does definitely. And I, I think that's always an interesting one, right? That does raise blood sugar. So even in a fasted state, but then you sort of expect that in the morning. One thing I don't do, and I don't know about you, like, for example, I don't eat carbs at lunchtime. For me, that is the point in the day that actually it would impact my productivity the most, much more so than if I had it at breakfast, for example. That would be less of an issue because I think I'm naturally, I'm an early morning person. So I'm pretty switched on in the morning. Whereas if I have carbs at lunchtime, I actually would see much more of a postprandial dip. And I find that there's a bigger impact on blood sugar as well. I don't know what you found, Lucas. Pretty similar. What you said before about when you push the carbohydrates back in the evening, I have been deliberately doing that. I've been pushing a lot of my carbs later towards the end of the day and I feel like I get awesome sleeps, even though it goes against it goes against completely what you read in the literature where it says don't have too many carbohydrates in the evening. But I definitely notice the anti-cortisol, anti-adrenaline, parasympathetic effect that you get from carbohydrates. It just tames things down a bit, particularly when it's combined with protein as well. Mm, I've definitely found that and I sleep a lot better. I think alcohol is a difficult one because alcohol, I notice when you're wearing a CGM, pushes blood sugar down is what I've noticed. And I think that's obviously why it's such a risk factor for a type 1 diabetic, right? They can actually go into a fit if they drink alcohol. What type of alcohol are we talking about? 
So I'm talking about if I have a glass of wine with a meal, the blood sugar response will be less with a carbohydrate containing meal. But again, I'm doing more tracking on that. And again, how do you account for what that is? Because it's a little bit like the apple. There's a high polyphenol content, right? in something like a really good biodynamic red wine. And again, I always think with alcohol, this is really interesting because when the research comes out and says alcohol is bad, I think that there's a lot of things that alcohol in itself is bad, but then there's a lot of variations between what people are drinking, right? So somebody that buys a supermarket bottle of wine that honestly doesn't have much love put into it necessarily and seems to have a lot of chemicals and sulfites and things compared to a biodynamically farmed organic wine that's from a really small vineyard. And, you know, in Europe, we're lucky enough to have access to a lot of those types of wines. I think they're very different. How do you even compare like to like on that? Mm, yeah, it's a really good point. The quality of the alcohol is going to influence the response as well. I'd like to go back to, you sort of mentioned around the protein intake. You know, you sort of mentioned you're having a lot of carbohydrates post-workout, but what was your protein intake like during that period of time when you're gaining a lot of muscle? Yeah, so protein was really high. Protein was high. I mean, I was aiming for one gram per pound of body weight. Yeah, so that was high. And I found that to be a very useful metabolic trigger with women. They feel much more satiated when they increase their protein to that degree. And I've also found that it leads to body composition changes very quickly. Mm. The most important one I would say for me, actually, when I've looked at it, is once you break your fast, having protein in that first meal. I know lots of people do go for things like bulletproof coffee. And I think, you know, being in a ketogenic state is muscle preserving, doesn't necessarily create that same trigger. However, I don't enjoy really the taste of bulletproof. So yeah. um, it's not something I use. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think um, breaking the fast with some degree of at least 30 grams, 30 to 40 grams of protein is ideal. Now, I just, in general, I think that we should be aiming for about, uh, even sometimes aim for like 40 to 45 grams of protein per meal. Um, but in terms of the fasting side of things, like have you experimented much with like longer term fasting, like longer duration fasts? Yeah. So when I've done, in terms of longer fasts, I find that my body gets under significant stress. I can actually feel that stress. I don't find it really works for me. And I think that the thing with fasting, right, is, as you know, a lot of the studies have been done in mice for sort of autophagy and also in longevity and then also sedentary obese men. There hasn't been as much research done on women, particularly who exercise a lot. And I think the way I see it is hormesis is amazing, right? So if we can produce a hormetic stress, so that is a physical stress on the body that's going to make it more resilient and stronger for those listening who might, most of your listeners, I'm sure, are very familiar with that term. However, there's so many different types of stress that you can create. And I think for women in particular, what's coming out more and more is that if you layer these on in too many of them at any one time, it actually can disrupt their delicate hormonal cycle in terms of estrogen and progesterone. And that's certainly what I find. And it happens with me quite quickly is I could then see a drop in hormones if I fast or take my carbs too low, that it will actually then drop my cycle. But then I'm quite lean, I'm low body fat percentage anyway. So I think it's got to be such an individual thing. Whereas if you have a sedentary woman who's got a lot of weight to lose, I think it doesn't necessarily always cause that same effect and it can be quite positive. 
I do always practice religiously a 12 hour overnight fast. And I find often pretty much every day it goes beyond that. It's like 14, 15 hours. For me, the friction starts to come in when I go beyond that, because then it's actually difficult to get as many calories into me as I need because I exercise a lot. And I think that's where for women, it becomes very individual. You've got to look at how many of these things are you doing that are stimulating that process before you start raising inflammation and cortisol because the more cortisol more than anything else because the body's becoming overstressed and then that can start to downregulate not just sex hormones but thyroid function as well and it's quite interesting because i've seen you know women that have done very restrictive diets like a very intense ketogenic protocol and they might have done that for 12 months and their periods completely stop and they're in their mid 40s and they're wondering have i hit menopause and then they come off the ketogenic diet. They start to bring in whole food carbs and have more of a plant-based diet and their menstrual cycle returns. And so I think it's a very delicate balance. And even that whole year off, you know, we know that ovulation is an important thing. And, you know, having as many cycles as you can in the lead up to menopause is important because you're paying deposits in terms of your cognitive health, your bone health, your metabolic health. I think it's quite key. So. I go easy with women and with myself, particularly if they exercise significantly. That's what I found. This is brilliant because I'd love to yeah, get stuck into more around the um, perimenopause and also maybe did you want to start with what are the implications of a low, some of the dangers associated with a low carbohydrate diet on that HPO axis? Yeah. I think what's difficult is... Obviously, there's um, there's a hormone kiss peptin that starts off this whole mechanism. And I think that in some women, some of the research that I've been looking at recently, and there isn't lots and lots of research, is that for some women, for example, who are on the edge, they might be so we know that in perimenopause, insulin sensitivity often is slightly downregulated, cortisol is higher. So you may have women who've actually got weight to lose and they're pre-diabetic. Sometimes doing very extreme fasting protocols or restrictive diets like the ketogenic diet actually doesn't and can tip them into a worse position in terms of their blood sugar management, which is completely unexpected, right? Because the research on men says otherwise. Men get great neurological benefits. Their cognition is much better. It seems like they get better lipid profiles. It reduces cholesterol, improves insulin sensitivity. Whereas in women, we don't always see that. There may be some improvements to things like HDL, but there aren't necessarily big improvements to LDL, which is obviously a type of cholesterol that we, particularly when it becomes oxidized, worry more about. And so I think in that section of the population, we actually have to be even more careful because what we're trying to do is optimize progesterone production. And during this period, you know, women, yes, they're getting drops in estrogen, but progesterone seems to be dropping first because we start to see them have anovulatory cycles. So even though, and I think that's why it's useful for women to track and actually understand did I ovulate this month and how many ovulation events am I getting? And the aura ring actually is a really good way of doing that. And I think Whoop have changed their strap now so that you can, on the new model, you can actually track body temperature. So that was one of the main reasons I've been experimenting and comparing aura and Whoop on myself and the data that I get. I actually like to see that change in body temperature because it's without going and doing an ovulation test, it's confirmation. Often I can tell anyway, but you'll see that body temperature 
rise. And I think it's important for women to, if you don't ovulate that month, because a lot of women complain and when they come to see me, they've got crippling anxiety and anxiety is increased as progesterone production gets downregulated. And so if they haven't ovulated, you know, once you ovulate, just for people listening, you have the, the egg comes out of the corpus luteum, which is this temporary gland. And that temporary gland that's left behind produces the bulk of the progesterone. Some of it is produced by the adrenal glands. Now, when you're in the very early stages of your period, we're relying to a degree on the adrenals to pick up this progesterone production and that lightens the period and brings it shorter. And what women are experiencing often in perimenopause is these very heavy periods at the beginning when they first go into it and these shorter cycles. So we want to try and give their body what it needs to optimize progesterone production. And a lot of that is about helping to reduce stress. So if we're then layering on all these other metabolic triggers and things, which for men work extremely well, it can overstress them too much is what I found. Mm, this is brilliant. This is really good because, yeah, it's sort of matching up. There's a lot of similarities in terms of the pro-metabolic, pro-longevity effects of progesterone. It does seem like you know, we're seeing reductions in that progesterone as women age. So did you want to sort of explain what are some of the key nutrients that may help to, you know, support progesterone production? Yeah. So I think for good kind of hormonal cycling and good estrogen and progesterone production, right? So we have to, I always think of estrogen is like the charismatic guest at the party, right? So estrogen is amazing. Estrogen is a great trigger for stimulating muscle mass, right? Estrogen makes your skin look amazing. It makes you feel good in certain amounts, okay? If estrogen gets too much of a handle, that's when you can get a lot of problems when there isn't progesterone. So I kind of think of progesterone is almost like princess progesterone. She kind of comes in, but she's a bit quieter. You have to rush her in a bit. And it's really important that she does come in mid-cycle and that you do get good levels because if you don't, you're not offsetting and that's when you get estrogen dominance, right? And so actually having really good vitamin status is important in terms of things like zinc, iron levels, B vitamins, really important. So all of the things, omega-3s that you would look at in terms of fertility are really important to get the balance of that right. What I haven't seen, and I haven't seen scientific literature to support this, but I have seen anecdotally a lot of women finding really good results with it, and I've seen it in my own practice, is actually cycling with seeds to help the production of those hormones. So having um, like flaxseed and pumpkin I hope I'm remembering my rotations right at the beginning of the month and then having sesame and sunflower at the end of the month helps to seem to offset things like PMS. In the early stages of a perimenopause, maca actually works quite well. So adding maca to smoothies and things can help with progesterone production. But I think it's a lifestyle factor as well because we've got to be moderating that stress and controlling that HPA axis because otherwise if the adrenals are constantly pumping out adrenaline and cortisol all of the time they're not prioritizing progesterone and I think this is really common in successful women who have you know leadership positions high performing roles kind of like me when I was a corporate lawyer and they've got children thrown into the mix and then they've got other pressures often it's time of their life they might have aging parents they've got so much going in going on teenage children their stress levels are very, very high and they've maybe compromised on sleep as well. And so if they're utilizing things that then 
deliberately stimulate too much in one direction or the other, it compounds the problems of hormones. So that typical sort of behavior of somebody who's very highly stressed and high performing, they might use a lot of caffeine to warm up and wine to cool down. That really aggravates things like hot flashes and things like that at night. I find that alcohol is very hard to tolerate often for women in perimenopause. Mm. Interesting. I'd sort of like to switch gears a little bit and, and sort of um, discuss iron deficiency and how you know how, how common is it in um you know women going through uh, menopause and, and perimenopause i think it's really common from what i see so i often and i feel i don't know what it's like in australia but i feel and it's not just in the uk you know I had a client very recently in germany her iron levels were very low but the doctors don't pick it up and they don't get involved and i think when you're looking at ferritin stores often, you know, they're looking, they'll say, well, if it's below 20, we'll pay attention, right? But actually, it should be much higher for a woman to feel good. Her iron's got to be kind of 50, 60, maybe up to 80. So there's this big disparity. And I think they're not being treated in that situation. And then it gets lower and lower. And what I've seen happen is then it can go into full-blown anemia. And it's very difficult as well in women that are having a vegetarian-based diet because it is harder to absorb it. You know, meat has got heme iron, which is much more bioavailable to the body. And so I think it's a really difficult balance. And people are on different diets for different reasons. I would never judge that. But I think it's just having awareness that it's sometimes if you're going to supp- just use supplementation because you're not getting it from animal protein, Obviously, you want to be having things like seafood, which can help and help to remineralize in the menstrual phase of your cycle. But it may be that you've got to kind of take a bit more in terms of supplementation. It's going to take a bit longer. And so don't leave it too late because I've suffered with iron deficiency and concentration levels become so hard. You feel like your head's kind of stuffed full of cotton wool and you can't sort of, you just can't bring your attention to it as well. And, you know, For me, I ended up actually at one point not long ago having an iron infusion because that gave me a result very, very quickly. But again, that needs careful monitoring, right? You've got to have that under medical supervision. Some people can get quite bad reactions from it. So I think I would say to women listening that monitoring your iron levels and taking control of that, I think the more we take control of our health and actually do, it's not difficult here in the UK to do blood work. You can order blood tests online and start to get a feel for where you are on certain things is really, really helpful because your doctor may turn around and frequently does say everything's fine when actually really it might be but it's no it's very it might mean you're not yet got disease i feel like doctors often really what they're saying is you're not quite ready for me yet and it's like who wants to get ready right that's actually Actually, what you really want to do is improve your health it's a good way of looking at it i've never i've never thought of it like that it's sort of it totally makes sense just the way that they view health i actually made myself iron deficient not not on i mean not on purpose but i i was donating blood too often and then I also was like smashing heaps of um, curcumin. I was mega dosing like vitamin B1. I was taking like vitamin E and I had, you know, poor absorption as well. So I ended up, I mean, I know how it feels to be low Interesting. in height. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? It's really hard. Yeah, I think that's one thing. The other thing that people underestimate, right, is omega-3s are amazing. Like, That's something I take. I just think it's so important in terms of like keeping inflammation low and helping with cognitive health. Omega-3s are amazing. They're one of the few supplements that if I don't take, I definitely notice a difference. Mm. Yeah. Omega-3s can be 
you know, really powerful for certain individuals with, you know, abnormal neuronal signaling or phospholipid synthesis and things like that. I would love to dive into like the sleep aspect around menopause. Obviously, that's something that would be heavily affected. What do you do there to sort of support sleep? So one of the first things, as we were saying, is obviously taking alcohol out is ideal or at least moderating it because it does seem to cause more night sweats and hot flashes and obviously your body's trying to do so many things. I find that magnesium coupled with taurine can actually help women sleep better. That can be a really good thing. Magnesium bisglycinate, just because it kind of really is very calming. The other thing as well in terms of adaptogens is ashwagandha can work really well, sometimes coupled with holy basil. So that can help. But getting really, really disciplined on your sleep routine is really important. And I think more than ever before. So understanding like all of the things that you and I both talk about in terms of moderating blue light, you know, particularly trying to have a wind down routine, creating some separation between when you finish work or people are addicted to social media and looking at things on their phone or trying to clear another email before bed. All of that stuff becomes really important. From my own perspective, in terms of experimentation and stuff I've used more recently with clients, I actually find that magnesium coupled with a tincture of reishi and a tincture of chaga gives a really amazing night's sleep. I've got really, really into mushrooms. I'm playing with the lion's mane because I do notice an interest in REM sleep, but I don't know if my brain's just a little bit more active when I take that, whereas the reishi and the chaga seems to give me a really, really calm sleep. Yeah, wild dreams with like crazy dreams with the um, lion's mane or you haven't noticed that yet? I haven't had crazy dreams. I wanted to, but I haven't. I did notice my REM sleep, but it just increased. But I don't know. There's just a little bit more. I mean, I take lion's mane because you know i've got one copy of apoe4 so that's always a concern to me so because you know if you've for those listening that's one copy of the gene that's associated with alzheimer's right so generally if you've got two copies of apoe3 i think your risk of alzheimer's is about nine percent if you have one copy of apoe4 it goes up to 30 percent and if you have two copies to 50 percent right so sleep is one of the most important things here in terms of getting that glymphatic system which is when the cerebral spinal fluid comes up and sort of washes the brain and helps clear a lot of the plaque and, you know, amyloid plaque and tau proteins and things that we can see build up. And obviously there's research showing now, early research, that lion's mane can help to enhance nerve growth factor and the connection between neurons. So for me, that coupled with sleep, but I'm tending to take it earlier in the day because I don't know, sometimes I take it at night. I can't seem to get clarity. I think I need to journal it a bit more on how well it works at night. I don't know what you found. Have you had crazy dreams then with lion's mane? Yeah, back in the day, I had a, um, I had like an ethanol-based extract of lion's mane. It was actually from a, from a company in the US called Powder City. Um, it's like the OG vendor for like uh, nootropics. I used to use that particular lion's mane. I used to have it like ten to fifteen minutes before bed because every time I'd use it, it would literally just knock me out. Like just, it makes me wonder whether it actually was <laughs> whether it was lion's the alcohol. Yeah, whether it was lion's mane. Yeah, but um, I think, you know, it it can be beneficial for certain individuals with, um, you know, like you said, risk factor for Alzheimer's. It can help to, you know, reduce that plaque formation, improve cognitive function. The other one that you mentioned with reishi mushroom, I've done a fair bit of research on that one. Have you seen like 
from a traditional Chinese medicine perspective, they talk about it as like a um, a Shen tonic, which is the spiritual, you know, improving that spiritual awareness. Mm. Well, I I think I've noticed it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because how do you take one thing or another? So in terms of that spiritual side and the connection, that's something I've been really playing with anyway and trying different modalities because I've been trying to play with different types of meditation as well as part of this journey because the spiritual side, I don't know what you find, but I find this is the area where the more you go into it, it's like a well that you drink from. It really is soul food. You know, like Oprah talks about soul food. And I think it's so true because it really is. And so I think, yes, I do feel a more like profound state of calm when I've had the reishi. I do notice that. However, I think that the practices that I've been doing in terms of connection are also helping as well at the same time and deepening those practices and reading more spiritual books and things as well. So it's difficult to distinguish. Yeah. How do you go about, by the way, um, tracking and logging your day-to-day experiences or experiments? Like, Do you have like a certain practice for that? So I've been playing with something and at the moment, I don't know if I might at some point like launch this in a physical format, but I have a journal that I've called Female Biohacker that I journal in every day. And some of my, I don't take on a lot of one-to-one clients, but my female one-to-one clients are utilizing it and trialing it at the moment. And they found it really interesting because in there I've combined the ability, and this is what I use myself. So the ability to track all my aura data so I can actually see what's going on, track where I am in my menstrual cycle, track what my energy is when I'm waking, how I feel, what the reason for that energy score is, how I might improve it, future pacing my day, so what I want to happen in my day and getting really, really clear. And then there's a gratitude practice that I do, so there's a lot of space for that. I really like this idea of writing out your what you're grateful for and then why. I find the why makes the gratitude practice so much more powerful. So it's kind of like I'm truly breast for X because... And then reading, or I'm so happy and grateful for X because. But the real thing that I found is sometimes people write out gratitude because they feel like they should. And then they're sort of like, oh, I don't know, I'm not feeling it. When you go back and read your gratitude list, that's when the deepest connection comes, I find. Because then when you're no longer writing it and you're reading it back, you can enter into the real spirit of what that is. And then, you know, tracking things that I'm eating, using things like the CGM. And then looking back, one of the biggest things I've noticed, I don't know if you do this, Lucas, is reflecting on the day and how well it went and what happened and what the learning experiences from that day were, both in terms of my health and my business and my relationships. And then really asking a question. I found a really powerful question is, what could have made today even better? Because often we can really criticize what we think didn't go as well without appreciating what did go well. So if you reframe that to what could have gone even better, I think it just really sets you up for a great day the next day. Mm, They're really great, really, really cool suggestions. I've never, in terms of like that first one, actually reading back what you're grateful for, because I do the same thing. Like I'll just write down what I'm grateful for, but then I don't really, you know, think back and appreciate it. Like it's just very Mm. material, but I think it's a really good point. 
Yeah, it's really powerful when you read it. And sometimes you, you go back over it and you're just like, thank you. But you really feel that connection because you're like, wow. Because sometimes you might write it and you might think that was a really amazing you know, moment, like stepping outside and watching the sunrise and having a coffee or reading to my daughter in bed. You know, there's really like simple moments that you cherish. And when you're writing it, you kind of feel a connection. But when you then read it back, your own words, it takes you into that moment that happened again, and you can actually feel it. It's quite visceral, much more sensory. So yeah, something that I've really enjoyed and my clients have really enjoyed since we've developed that practice. Yeah, I really like that. And I also, um, I think it's absolutely integral when it comes to biohacking to do some degree of tracking, not over the top, obviously we want to actually, because it can get very, to a degree, it can become very orthorexic. I mean, I've stepped into that realm myself when it, you're so overly conscious of your decisions and behaviors that you're almost over analytically tracking things. But I do think there needs to be some degree of tracking to build up that self-awareness because it's hard to keep track of things all in our head. Like there's so many different things going on. Yeah, I agree. And I think it can become obsessive and we don't ever want to become obsessive about something. And so I think it's about understanding is not feeling bound to it, but is this improving my life? And if it is making an immeasurable improvement and difference, then I continue with it. But otherwise, I completely agree with you. And even things like the CGM, right? I do it for periods of time because I want to make sure I'm on track and not go off course. But then I don't do it 12 months of the year because then it would feel obsessive, right? And be constantly scanning my arm. <laughs> it, it becomes quite addictive, doesn't it? You know, you're like, oh, I wonder what my blood sugar is now. Oh, I wonder. Like, <laughs> I, I miss, I only had one for, I've got, I've only used it once and I'm just desperate to get my hands on another one. Like it's, it's literally impossible to get it here in Australia. We can't even, Is it? can't even go on eBay. Can't even go on. Like, it's honestly the hardest thing to get. My dad's a pharmacist and you know, he, we own a pharmacy, but it's just like, it's so hard to get your hands on without a script. It's just ridiculous. Oh, wow. Because I've been trying different interfaces on that. So obviously, Freestyle Libra is the key kind of manufacturer that have always made it. And their interface isn't that great. And so I then have been trying a company called Very Stable. And there's another one, NutriSense, that I'm about to try. And it's quite interesting because you then upload their app and they give you a different interface. I've noticed that Very Stable, it's called Very, it's called Keep You Within a Very, like, very now it's quite strict i think it's made for biohackers because uh, <laughs> it's kind of like you, you you can't really delve outside of it at all do you know what i mean it's yeah. definitely keeping me on track but yeah they're also different i have to send you one from the uk so you can do it again please yeah i, I did um when i actually got my hands on one i did a really cool experiment i did post it on on instagram i had a hundred grams of white sugar 100 grams of white sugar in water wow and this was wow. after this was after like a 4k 5k walk and crazy crazy I, everyone's like freaking out like how how is this possible it barely budged my really there was hardly any spike at all and i was waiting and i was waiting and kept testing and i'm like no that's so interesting yeah do you know what do you know why that fascinates me so much i don't know i'd love to hear why you think that happened because i was going to share that my so we, my husband and i did an experiment so we both had cgms on we've looked at our genetics i'm very carb sensitive he isn't so it was really interesting and he made a really big celery and carrot juice now obviously the carrot gives you potentially more of a glycemic response and i think he'd put 
one apple in there, so not a lot, right? And it was like, what's going to happen? This was crazy. His blood sugar stayed relatively normal. Mine shot up to over 12. <laughs> over 12. And it's, and it's like, that's, and, and I just, and I know, and I just, do you know, it's probably one of the most frustrating things is that, as I say, mine's like constantly now, because I know what I'm doing in and around, you know, somewhere between, actually it goes quite low, three point something up to about 5.5. And yet, if I do something like that, that a lot of people would say is healthy, right? Juicing on an empty stomach, you've removed the fiber, it's an unopposed carb. In someone like me, it gives a crazy blood sugar spike. So no matter the vitamins that I might have got from that drink, that's still not good for my body. crazy yeah these are the experiments we need to like just collate and log like do you have have you started saving these to your instagram stories at all or i need to actually i'm about to do some more because i've been putting quite a bit together on the basis of this one and then i'm gonna do yeah because it always people get really interested and i think we do that's the thing we need to understand right is that we're so different i mean how do you what do you think was the reason for you having that much sugar and not seeing a difference well, when I looked back at the experiment, obviously it was post-exercise. It was a brisk, it was a decent walk. I would say it was about 65% of my max heart rate intensity. It wasn't, it wasn't a jog, but it was a brisk, powerful walk. And I hadn't eaten in about like three to four hours prior to that. But then when I came back, I was, I was very hungry and I was probably a little bit dehydrated. But then when I you know, had the whole glass of water and I drank that. Yeah, maybe my body was really just responsive to the sugar and just really just needed the sugar and took it, disposed it really well. It could have been because I may have used some GDAs, like glucose disposal agents. I think I had like bitter melon early that morning. But these are the experiments that I needed. I want to start doing them again. If I, like I said, if I had the access that you have access, like I would just be, I think I'd be wearing it every single, every day. All the time. It is, it is really addictive. I want to try it with, um, I was chatting to Wade Lightheart the other day about his new blood glucose control. And so I've actually got some of that coming. So I'm going to see and do deliberate experiments and see, cause he's packed that with so many things to bring blood sugar down. And so, yeah, I'm going to, experiment with that and see what the effects has. I know when I've done, for example, like worn a blood sugar monitor and had a carbohydrate containing food and used Ben's Keon Lean, then I definitely see less of a blood sugar response than if I hadn't taken the Keon Lean. So I think things like bitter melon extract, berber, you know, all the research shows they work and they do work because when you use them. And so they're very interesting for someone like myself, right? Who has to work. It just sounds like I've got to work harder than you. I've got to work harder than my husband at controlling it. And I think for people like me, these things are really, really helpful. Yeah. Well, please do when you, if you do like post them, make sure you save them to your stories so I can um, reshare some of the things you find. Oh, amazing, thank you. Yeah, well. So I guess, Ange, um, that pretty much you know wraps up the episode. Do you want to let my listeners know where they can connect with you, where they can find you, and work with you as well? Yeah, sure. So my website is AngelaFosterPerformance.com, and then this concept of health and high performance. My podcast is High Performance Health. So they can have a listen to that. I'm always on Instagram at Angela S. Foster. And if they want to do a kind of fun questionnaire to look at, I have a kind of protocol called Shift, which is sleep, hormones, insights, fuel, and training. And find out where they are and get a health score. They can go to yourtotalhealthcheck.com and it's quite a fun interactive questionnaire. And then they get a personalized report there as well. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll make sure to link those in the show notes for those listening in. But uh, 
Yeah, Angela, thanks for coming on the show. It's been a been a fun chat. Thanks so much, Lucas. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.